0: Welcome to Marketing Thought Leadership, the podcast that offers insightful discussions on thought-provoking marketing topics. Here's the host of our show, marketing consultant, speaker, author, and educator, and the president of Leverage2 Market Associates, Linda Popke. Hi, this is Linda Popke, and welcome to our latest episode of Marketing Thought Leadership. We're here today with Sean Miller, Sean is the Chief Experience Officer of Smink. He's an entrepreneur, investor, and advisor with over 20 years of international business experience specializing in marketing, customer service, and training. As Chief Experience Officer at Smink, he leads the development of user experience on both the brand and the customer side of Smink-hosted social brand advocate communities. CloudTrack Sean is one of the top of influencers online on the topics of business, entrepreneurship, and social media. And he is the author of The New Face of Your Brand, Social Brand Advocacy Grows Business with Customer Community and Co-Created Marketing. Welcome, Sean.
1: Hey, thanks, Linda. Happy to be here.
0: Great. So before we go any further, why don't we define what is social brand advocacy?
1: Sure. Well, I think an easy way to say this is if, if, if I come on here and I say I'm cool, then that kind of makes me a dinkweed, right? But if somebody else comes on here, and, like you just did, and says I'm cool, then I'm probably cool, right? Right. So it's, that, it's that transference of trust, right? So we, we call that word of mouth, right? If we're old school, it's just, it's just word of mouth. Uh, then what that means then when we talk about the jargon of social brand advocacy, what that means is it, it's connecting to customers, to uh, employees, to stakeholders and the community around what you do with your company, and igniting their word-of-mouth conversation about you and leveraging the social media engagement that we all in, are involved with every day to really expand the reach of those discussions beyond the time and space of the old 150 rule that we used to say uh, that people can influence.
0: So we've got this new way of reaching out to people, and part of the problem is that it creates a lot of noise. I've written a book called Marketing Above the Noise, and sure. everybody's trying to talk at once, and it's hard to hear, first of all, who are the real people, and we, we see that in the election that everybody's talking about everything, but oh. it's also hard to pick out those good nuggets. So how do you advise uh, really, for consumers to tell the difference from paid influencers and, and non-paid influencers, and to really understand who the real social brand advocates are.
1: Yeah, well, and that's that, that's the real sort of golden nugget beauty of this, right? Is because that that endorsement or recommendation or just sharing of an experience about a brand, it's it's. It's delivered by somebody that you know, like, and trust already, right? It's not not delivered by some celebrity. It's not delivered by a sponsored endorsement or advertisement. It's coming directly from somebody that you trust. And their motivation for doing that is always very, very clear. And this is one of the hardest things to get companies to understand. But the people that share with somebody else, they do it with, with a great intention and, and great thoughtfulness. So they don't do it randomly or willy-nilly. They don't add to the noise. They, they, uh, they make a recommendation or a share with a, a great deal of thought, and they, they consider <clears throat> the risk or the potential risk to their social equity with that person if they screw that up. So they're very cautious about it. But the reason that they get over that fear and they do that is because they genuinely want to help people. And that's the that's the absolute clarity and the biggest tr- difference between the word you used influencer which I also use but the word that we use here in terms of advocate is because somebody who's operating as an advocate they're doing it because they genuinely want to help their friends and family. And we we have such division and such distrust and such overwhelm in our in our culture today that the counter movement to that which is really building in its momentum is that people feel a genuine obligation to help their friends and family and people that they care about to find companies or brands that don't suck and can be trusted and that and they they get very adamant about making that recommendation to the brand that they know can be trusted because they they literally are concerned about others being harmed by companies that, in general, they do not trust.
0: You know, it's interesting. So we've come to this point now where it's this distrust of the the company, the brand, the product that is driving people to be advocates for companies and brands and products that they do trust. So it, it's kind of we, we we've come a long way from the old days of of advertising where we just all listened to to those thirty second sixty second spots and said oh let's go buy that brand of peanut butter yeah uh, yeah
1: and all of that all of that old school stuff about you know launching a com- campaign against the target audience to coerce people to do something and all that old ad speak which is all military language from the past it's this is this is that's tired stuff it's the language of of you know coerce and conquer, and this is not what people want it's not what people are seeking and, and and it's one of the reasons that people are so distrustful of brands and it goes all the way to the root of the language that we typically use as marketers
0: sean given that that there's so much distrust going on in the world and there's there's so uh, much concern about consumers and, and the brands and the products, et cetera. How do we go about converting a customer base into brand advocates without making it seem like we are participating in this kind of military metaphor and, and driving them to do what we want them to do?
1: Right, right. So, so the first thing that we have to do inside the company, right, inside our own company, and you, you need a significant champion of culture of the company For this to be successful. This is natural to some younger companies, but it's a tough transition for some older companies. So you need a champion with some serious clout who's on board with this. But the first thing we need to do is we need to end any us versus them in our culture, right? We have to stop thinking about any any us versus them with our customers and we have to stop thinking using us versus them or military speak in our language about them and instead consider the customer to be the great asset that they are the, the participant in your business that they are and invite them right consider them such and then invite them to participate in the process right and one of the reasons we, you know, we use software to create a communication platform, which is much like a, a private social network, if you will, where the customer base and the employees of the company can interact as peers, if you will, uh, on, with, with the sing, you know, the singular purpose of, you know, making an impact in the world for, you know, on behalf of the company, right, or around the company. But it's, it's, a, it's a total change of mindset and then a shift of communication. And so that's why I talk about then customer community and co-created marketing. Because if we really have the customers involved in product development, in improving our customer experience, in improving our marketing message and spreading that message on our behalf, they're going to be excited about that. They're going to be engaged in that and that behavior that activity that culture it it's it's not like advertising campaigns we don't turn it on and then turn it off and then turn on another one this is like a volume knob right this is something that that is is on all the time it's sustainable and we can we can turn up the volume sometimes but it's it's a long-term play and it's a it's a cooperative co-creation play so a complete difference in mindset and a complete difference in how we interact with our customers.
0: Fascinating. And, and it's something, again, I, I agree with what you're saying. I talked about this in my book, the importance of community and, and customers and and, uh, and content and not selling but, but participating and being part of the conversation. So I agree with what you're saying. Uh, who is doing this well? Do you have examples of companies that are doing a great job of this?
1: Oh, there's some. You know, I think one of the great historical examples that that really helps people connect with this idea right away is the Harley Owners Group. Mhm. <laughs> that's, that's a historical uh, example of of a group of customers. You know. I, it's a, it's a heck of a test for a brand to say are you tattoo worthy right, right. <laughs> so, i understand that's an extreme example but uh, you know if you, if you take a, such an extreme example of that you, you know you've got people that have identified with this brand with such passion that you, you know they they will you know what they they would physically confront you from riding a japanese motorcycle right because <laughs> this is an offense to them right that you would do such a thing uh so the, and and that has that really drove that company uh, you know through some some very very dark days right but having that 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 core uh and, and there's many many companies that do it and many companies that do it in in a lot of uh you know ways that you would not expect uh, another another famous case study is is the the fiskers brand and that's another famous case study and fiskers are the guys that make the yellow handled scissors right right, right. Uh, Fiskers you know which you think well that's a cheap product it's not anything somebody's going to be passionate about right but it's but those yellow you know those orange handled sil- handled scissors are core to you know all sorts of crafting and DIY and sewing and all these home projects and the people that are into that are really really into that so when they've been invited to participate in in the development of you know DIY and crafting and the culture and community around that they've they've come together in what they call they they call themselves the piscatiers <laughs> <Fiskateers. laughs> <Yeah. laughs> They have a, a very very strong uh, global uh, community of largely women in that case, right? But uh, of many different ages and many different passions, right? Be it sewing or scrapbooking or whatever. But that oddly they've rallied around these yellow, these orange, or I think it's yellow, but these uh, orange handled scissors, and that that drives, uh, you know, the the word of the brand, right? And it drives the word of the brand. And, and there are many products affiliated, right, that allows them to be much more than just a scissors company.
0: Got it. So, and, and certainly, you, we, we're, we know about the Harley Owners Group, the Hogs, and we know about Fiskars, and, and I'm thinking the LEGOs community, which includes adults, not just kids, that are using LEGOs in all kinds of ways. Uh, but if you don't have a product that people are that passionate about, how do you go about building and maintaining a loyal advocate community?
1: Well, I, gosh, I can't. I can't hardly think of a product more boring than scissors. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I really can't. Uh, but you know, we, we've done we've done work with, um, I guess, the most boring thing that I could even think of. That you know, the, we've done work with Conagra. Uh, and their brands, including Rotel, mm-hmm. and Rotel is canned tomatoes, right? And you're like, <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. But if you're really serious about your queso dip, and it's Super Bowl party time, and you're convinced that your friends will, uh, you know, have an inferior queso dip if you don't use the right ingredients, which of course is true, and you're adamant that the Rotel tomatoes are the the only. Solution for that, then then you will tell you know the the people that you care about that they need to use the Rotel tomatoes, and you will you will share that specifically in your recipes, and you will go to your Facebook community and you will you will talk to them about you know my your your you know you will share your famous queso dip before the Super Bowl party, and so there, there's all sorts of ways, and I mean the math. The math is much sexier, you know, if we're talking about Tesla, which is entirely marketed through word of mouth. Right. And, you know, if we're talking about an $80,000 car, the much, math is much sexier than a dollar can of tomatoes, but the result is, is exactly the same.
0: So, but how do, you, how do you build that advocate community beyond the organic idea that people say, hey, here's, here's the best recipe for my dip? But if you're ConAgra, what do you do to kind of uh, enable that and make that happen?
1: Sure. well we we've created a software platform that allows us to look at the data right and, the, and you mentioned uh, peanut butter and mm-hmm. I, I have a data guy at Smink and he's kind of a nerdy guy, but he can tell you what kind of peanut butter you like and <laughs> <laughs> right and he can tell that uh based upon the consumer data that we have available about us because everything that we do is tracked and and especially in consumer goods so he can tell you what kind of peanut butter you, you like, and he can tell you, uh, he can tell if you are active in, in social communities, and you're somebody who participates in, in Facebook, let's say, and, and he can tell you that. <clears throat> and we can come to, uh, let's, well, let's say it's Jif, because that's my brand, we can come to Jif and we can say, well, this Linda is, is an ardent GIF, uh you know, buyer, She's very active in, in social. In fact, she's got a podcast and all these other things, which she might be quite influential. We'd suggest that you um, choose, you know, you invite her into this private community. And we, we can do that because of the data and the software technology that we have at SMINC, That takes minutes, right? It, it, it literally takes minutes.
0: Great. That's fantastic. And then what happens with that? Once you've done that, you, you um, are helping me. You- you know, the companies that make these products to build these communities. But does that data ever get sold? Does it belong to the company as, as a consumer? Should I be concerned that you know what kind of peanut butter I like?
1: Well, that's a whole other question about, you okay. know, hats and, you know, all that stuff. But the, the 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 fact of the reality today is if you have a Facebook app on your phone, they know where you are at all times. They know what you're buying. I mean, that That is what it is. So yep. we – either we accept that and move forward with it, or we go in a rabbit hole on that. So for a minute, let's say we accept that. Okay. And then if we're GIF, then what I think is one of the real beauties of this is we learn, and I'll keep using Facebook, but what we learned in 2015 is that GIF may have invested significant time, energy, and resources over years and years of time in building a massive following on Facebook which they Facebook taught them to call a community, right? Right. And then they pulled the rug out from under that and said, Well from now on you can only talk to your community if you pay us for the right to access them and they crushed that organic reach. Right. And earlier this summer they threw a bunch of dirt <laughs> over the grave of organic reach. It just does not exist for a branded page at this point, regardless of what blood, sweat, and tears you put in, you know, in building that for your business. So what we do when we we facilitate a private community for the brand is we take, if you consider the width of all of those people, you know, that, that are very, very wide in all of those different networks, we take the ones that are, you know, most impassioned and most influential the the most uh, probable to be both insightful to the brand and influential to the market. And we invite them into a narrow relationship that is very much like a community and is owned by the brand. Okay. Brand then controls that. So does the brand still need to have a presence on the big wide network? Yes. But we believe that it's critical that they also move Onto an online, you know, onto a private network, and and it's critical in the same way that you know if you had six million Vine followers two weeks ago, it's it's really freaking important today that you would have gotten their, those people's email address at some point, yep. right?
0: Yeah, because they're all gone now. <laughs> so much for Vine has died on the Vine. Yes. So, so
1: the, yeah. the thing that we, we we need to recognize as as a user uh, in. in, in I mean, I'm a passionate user of social media. I love it. But the thing I need to recognize is if I'm not paying to be on the platform, then, then, I, then I am the product, right? I'm not paying to be there. I'm the product of that platform. So I need to recognize that as a user. And then as a brand that's trying to leverage that, we need to recognize that that's a publicly traded company. They're, they're required to grow revenue. And one fine way to do that is to control my ability to reach that audience. And right. that's what's done. And that's, frankly, what they should do. So we we, we shouldn't be upset about it. <laughs> we should just accept what it is and find a better way to do it. And we believe one of those ways is to move them into a private VIP community.
0: Got it. And certainly I've done a lot of work with, with communities in the software space, the business-to-business world, and and, yeah. and how engaged customers who are engaged in communities are much more passionate, they're much, more, uh, they're much stronger advocates, and they're much more likely to buy and continue to buy and influence uh, yeah. what goes on in, in terms of purchasing. So absolutely agree with you that. One question, final question. We're here with uh, with Sean Miller. We could talk all day about this, but let me j- just ask you one more question. How do you measure the return on advocacy? How, because certainly organizations say, I'm putting this out, am I getting anything back? What's your thought
1: yeah. about that? Yeah, well, we, we have a very proprietary uh, little tool. And I, I'm not the CTO, and I can't, I, I can't tell you how, how it works, but there's a patent on it, and I call it the cookie. And they always say, don't call it the cookie. It's not a cookie. And I'm like, well, I don't get it. But what it is is a tracking ability. And what goes on in the community uh, of the brand as determined by the brand and by the users that are participating in there, that those things are shareable. And what we find is that a lot of that content gets shared and that's easily tracked because it's, it's public and we're able to you know, sort of scattergram the viral movement of those things that share out of, the, out of the community. And what the brands like to do then is they like to assign an earned media value to that activity, to those impressions, engagements, and triggers, and sales that, that come from that activity. But the, the real proprietary thing that Smink has is that we can track, the, the, what I called the cookie, can track that sharing activity into a digital environment or what people call dark social and then we can see, we still have track of it when it comes out again, meaning it becomes actionable on the internet. So. If, if the reality is, if I know that you're interested in something, I'm probably not going to post that information on your Facebook wall, right? I'm probably going to email it to you, frankly, number one. Right. I might, I might or I might direct message or text it to you in some way. And what the whole industry, if you will, has, has, you know, thrown that activity into a bucket and called it dark social and said we don't know what happens there. And brilliantly... Uh, Kevin uh, Smithwick, who's our CTO, has well. He's yeah, yeah. I can track that. So and here and here's how. So uh, we have a patent on that, and we can actually prove that. So then the assignment of value, which is up to the brand, right? Either based on their earned media value that they use uh, in their social departments, or based on actual and you know measurable sales that happened that the ROA tracker will follow, and or combining them, we're able to get a fine uh, measurement of exactly how far did that message go and what, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, commerce actually happened because of it.
0: That's fantastic. That's great. So there are ways to not only create these advocacy groups and, um, and communities, but also to track the results back and, mm-hmm. uh, and brands can know and companies can know what they're getting for their money. So thank Very you, Sean. Cool. We've been here with Sean Miller. He is the CXL of SMINC. And he is also the author of The New Face of Your Brand, Social Brand Advocacy Grows Business with Customer Community and Co-Created Marketing. Thank you for being with us, Sean.
1: Hey, uh, thank you. And the last thought I'll leave you with is you you can't put likes on a balance sheet. There's just (laughs) no uh, where they go there. So we have to make these social activities actually measurable and and tie them to the direct movement of of the needle of the business, right? And that's what we're trying to do.
0: Got it. Thank you, Sean. This is Linda Popsky. Until next time, thank you for listening to Marketing Thought Leadership. We hope you enjoyed this edition of Marketing Thought Leadership, brought to you by Leverage 2 Market Associates. If you'd like to find out how powerful marketing results can transform your organization, contact us at www.Leverage2Market.com.